Alright, so we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2 out of the ESV version, um, and it can be found in the Blue Church Bibles on page 976. So I'll give you a minute to get there. Alright, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do please take a seat. And if you could be turning back to your Bibles, uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, uh, we're working through a series of four, uh, and this is the fourth one, so the end of a series, where we've been thinking about who we are at Cornerstone Church Colchester, and we've been thinking about how we're convinced that we start everything in the home, that was three weeks ago, and then a couple of weeks ago we were thinking about how we're seeking to be a loving community, and then last week growing in Jesus Christ, and then today by word and spirit. And just before we get underway, um, something we've been doing the last few weeks is just to to turn to your neighbour if you want to, if you don't want to that's fine, and just um, discuss um, a couple of questions that help us get thinking about the topic we're particularly thinking of. This is a a thematic sermon, we usually have uh, exegetical sermons uh, where we work through a text, but we're looking more at sort of the New Testament view, the New Testament underpinning of how word and spirit relate. So two questions just for you to think about, either on your own or discussing with your neighbour, does God speak? And if so, how does God speak to us? Does God speak? And if so, how does God speak to us? And then the second question, what does the Spirit of God use to speak to us? Does God speak? And if so, how? What does the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God use to speak to us? Three minutes, off you go. Okay, if you want to uh, draw your conversations to a close, do carry them on afterwards. And I hope um, 
that today's uh, sermon will spark questions. So as I uh, mentioned at the beginning, do be uh, asking your questions on Slido and uh, I'll hope to um, answer the most popular one. Um, so do, do use that. But let's just pray, shall we, as we come to consider how God speaks by his word and by his spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you and praise you that you are our teacher this morning because you are alive, you reign in heaven, you have poured out the spirit on your people, the church. We praise you, Lord, that your human words were witnessed and remembered and written down by the power of your Holy Spirit, that all scripture is breathed out, spirited out by God. And so as we come to your word, would your spirit be at work in each of our hearts? Please help me to speak that which is helpful. And please help us to understand spiritual truths by the power of your spirit, we ask, for your glory's sake. Amen. Now, obviously, I can't um, say everything that needs to be said on this topic, and so there will be lots of loose ends. But I think it's really important, before we sort of dive into the topic of what we mean by, by word and spirit, we consider the fact that God is beyond our minds, beyond our understanding beyond our comprehension. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says this, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts are beyond us. He dwells in an eternal present. He is infinite in power infinite in knowledge and as high as the billions of galaxies are above the earth that we live on so much higher is God's way of thinking and understanding to our way of thinking and understanding he is incomprehensible he cannot be understood and incomprehensible is the word that the theologians use of God he is beyond our minds so how can we understand God? How can we hear him speak? Well, the wonderful news is that God has spoken to us in human words that we can understand by the power of his Holy Spirit through a person, through the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. God the Son left heaven. He'd always in eternity been God the Son and he became a human being. He took into his being a human nature, was born, grew up, learnt human language and spoke human words that we can understand. And if we understand these words, we can be rescued from hell. We can be saved from God's judgment. We've been given a new life, an eternal life. And so the first point, and as I said, this is a thematic sermon, the first point, we're going to be dotting around a bit, God saves by human spiritual words. God saves by human spiritual words. So what's our reaction to be saved? Well, listen to them and to believe them so that we can be saved. Now, perhaps the most succinct statement that Jesus uttered on this question is in John chapter 6. If you want to turn back with me to John chapter 6, we're going to look at just one verse, verse 63, because I think this encapsulates encapsulates how the, 
the scriptures from beginning to end join together the word of God and the spirit of God. And we see them meet most clearly in the one person who spoke the word of God because he's the son of God and was full of the spirit without limit because he was in constant communion with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 6 verse 63. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now Jesus is referring to the human words he had just spoken to his disciples and he says of those human words they are spirit and life. Now, in the context, what's happened is Jesus has claimed to be the bread of life who came down from heaven to, to give salvation to, to people who will believe in him. But when many of the disciples heard it, what did they say? Well, verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And so a lot of them left Jesus, the man who was speaking the pure word of God because he's the son of God, full of the spirit like no other human being in history, was rejected and people said, well, listen, we, can't, we can't get this. We can't listen to this. And they went away. And so Jesus says in verse 67, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Jesus was very, very clear that the human words that he spoke, that the disciples had come to understand were words of life, words of spirit that bring eternal life to those who receive them and believe them. It's very easy for us to, in a wrong kind of way, separate the human words of Jesus from what the spirit says. Jesus puts them together. What he says in human language is what God the Holy Spirit is saying. And it's difficult for us to sort of get our heads around this because we're affected by the culture we believe in, uh, that we live in. Um, but the ancient world put things together that we tend to separate. Spirit, breath, wind. All the same word. So here's me speaking something without spirit, without breath. Did you understand what I just said? Unless you can lip read. No. That's words without spirit, words without breath. Here's breath without words. <sighs> Did you get that? No, spirit and word go together. I said Jesus is Lord. Words are carried on the breath, the spirit. They go together. Let's just, this is the, the perspective of the whole New Testament. Let's just flip forward to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. I think this is, I'm trying to pick out uh, proof texts that really encapsulate it so that you can sort of go there when in darker days you may doubt these things. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. It's just such a, often this is an observation that we can make in the Bible that, that, that's not obvious, but it is clear once you've seen it. Verse 7. So this is the writer quoting from Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, in that day and today. So the Holy Spirit is now going to speak 
from the words that he then quotes, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. In other words, Psalm 95 is what the Holy Spirit was saying in the first century and is still saying today. The human words that David wrote in Hebrew are what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and to me today. See, our culture tends to define the spiritual as what is spooky and, and difficult to understand. So there are hosts of programs on TV, I'm, I'm not in the slightest bit interested in watching them, sorry for those of you who find them interesting, that are about ghosts, encounters with spirits. Or if you want to go uh, into the, the centre of Colchester in a, in a few weeks' time, you, you can uh, go, I can't remember his name, the psychic medium is visiting. Uh, these sort of spooky events, contacting the spiritual, being spiritual. Well, the Bible is clear that there is a spiritual world with angels and demons, and they do speak, but God speaks clearly through human words that we can understand. And that's a great relief. We don't have to sort of go out and have some spooky experience or think that somehow we can hear from God or through a spirit medium or through standing out in a storm or whatever it might be. God speaks today in human words that we can understand because he speaks through human words. The prophets, Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah and Joel, he speaks today by the Holy Spirit through human words. And why? Well, they were all pointing to the one human being who would speak for God perfectly because he is God, the Son of God. John chapter 3, just flip back a few pages. You see, the question might be, well, how do we, how do we encounter the Holy Spirit? What's the way in which we get this eternal life, this new life that Jesus offers? Well, Jesus, in his conversation with Nicodemus, makes it clear, doesn't he? Chapter 3, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus clearly teaches that to enter the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of heaven, to be saved, to receive eternal life, they're all the similar kind of thing. A person needs to be born spiritually, born again, born from above. But Jesus says that this is incomprehensible. In one sense, because the wind blows where it wishes, and this is his answer to Nicodemus, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We can see the effects of the wind, the Spirit. We cannot understand but then Jesus goes on to answer Nicodemus' question is, how, how can this be? How can a person be born again? Verse 9. How, how can these things be? And Jesus says, well, you should understand this, Nicodemus. You are a teacher of Israel. If I, if I teach you of earthly things, how, how on earth you can understand if I teach you of heavenly things? If you can't get one, how are you going to get the other? But then he gives the answer in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus says, look, it's like that situation in the Old Testament where everybody was 
bitten by snakes and they were facing death. And Moses spoke some words and said, look, if you just look to the, the bronze serpent on the pole, then you'll be healed. And Jesus says, well, it's a bit like me. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. And then he goes on in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So how are people born again by the Holy Spirit? They hear a message about a son of God dying on a cross, being lifted up. And as they trust in what he has done, they don't perish. They have eternal life. Those human words change people's eternal destinies. Those human words of Jesus, we have heard, have we not? Wonderfully. And for most of us here, we have trusted in who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross. So we have eternal life. We've born, been born from above. But it came through the human words of Jesus, did it not? That's how God speaks today. It's terrible to see the disasters in North Africa, isn't it? I don't know if you've been watching the news and just seeing this horrific situation. First the earthquakes and then even worse, I think, the floods. The floods in that, that city in Libya. How could people have been rescued? Well, they could have been rescued by words. Get out, get out, the earthquake is coming. Uh, the dam has just burst. You must get away from the river. And if people heard those human words and acted, then they would have avoided death and destruction. And Jesus was clear. He's clear in all the Gospels that the only way that we can be safe, the, the way that we can be saved from death, from the judgment of God, from hell, is by believing in his human words. Taking what he says Seriously. But you may say, well, I, I, I don't need saving. I, I'm going to be good enough for God on Judgment Day, aren't I? You know, I'm, I've never killed anybody. Or m maybe we might say, or be tempted by those who say, well, there is no Judgment Day. When we die, we rot. There is no life beyond the grave. Are you sure? Are you sure? When Jesus says that the only way that you can be safe is by trusting in what he said when he was on earth, believing in him so that he will take the punishment that you deserve. He will die the death that we all face. He will go to hell on the cross so that we can go to heavenly glory if we trust in him. And if we're yet to trust in him, can I encourage you? I forgot to bring the little book that I've been giving out to everybody um, about being agnostic and are you 100% sure? I'll... I'll I'll give you one. If, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not sure that you need to trust in Jesus Christ in order to be in heaven, in eternal glory, then I'd like to give you that book. Or come back and, and we run Christianity Explored and Hope Explored on a regular basis. Come back and investigate the, the human words of Jesus because that's how God saves. If you want to encounter God just by going out into nature, you will not hear this message through nature. Oh, it speaks of God's power and his justice, the fact that he is created, but it doesn't tell you how you can be saved from the judgment to come. You need to listen to these words. How are you listening to these words? This is how God speaks to people. 
through the human words that Jesus spoke, that have been recorded, inspired by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and prophets, so that we can read them or we can hear them if we can't read, we can talk about them, we can understand them, we can trust in Jesus and be saved forever. That's what it means to be born by the Spirit, born again, born from above. God saves by human spiritual words. So listen to them to believe and be saved. If we want to become a Christian, it's through these words, somehow, working it in our being, in our heart, in our mind. And as we begin the Christian life, so also we grow in the Christian life. So that's our first point. God saves by human spiritual words, so listen to them to believe and be saved. And then secondly, Jesus Christ builds his church by word and spirit. So keep listening and praying to keep believing. I want to put that extra dimension in as we'll see. Uh, the Apostle Paul in, in Ephesians 2. So let's just flip back to Ephesians 2. Uh, this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time now. And as I say, we're not going to go through verse by verse. Uh, we're really just going to think about how this informs our conviction as a church that it's by both the Word of God, the Bible, and the Spirit of God that God speaks, saves people, builds his church, equips everybody in it. This is where Paul has begun. If you just uh, look back at chapter 1, and he recounts how the Ephesian Christians had been saved, had been rescued. Verse 13 of chapter 1. In him, that's in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, this message, this human message brought by the Apostle Paul, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, what happened? Were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. See, when you heard the gospel, Christians in Ephesus, you believed, and because you believed, you received the Holy Spirit, that new birth, that, that seal saying to you, God owns you now, the, like the ancient seal, so you will make it to heavenly glory. It's all been done for you. He's a guarantee that you will inherit and because Christians in Ephesus, you mostly were Gentiles, he's brought those who were far off, who didn't go to church, who had nothing to do with the Jewish uh, faith, have now been brought near. Now, what he says in, in chapter 2 is that this has all been by a gift, it's all by faith, it's all by trusting what Jesus has done for you. But, and then, then the dividing wall between Jew and Gentiles has been broken down, so you're now a loving community. There's just one uh, man, if you like, the, the hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and every kind of division in, in any culture has been broken down by what Jesus has done on the cross, because we're all saved in the same way by a gift. Now let's just flip forward to verse 19. So then, and he's got particularly Gentiles in mind. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's not talking about little green men, obviously, but, but those who were excluded and alienated from God's people. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God like we were thinking about with the children. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we are as much a member of the household of God as somebody who's been a Christian here for their whole lives. 
because it's God who builds us into his church. And how does God build his church? Well, it's built, verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Those who witnessed Jesus' works, who saw the miracles he did, who heard his teaching, who were his friends, who ate the Last Supper with him, who were there on the day of Pentecost, the apostles and prophets. It's their witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, inscripturated and preserved across the generations so that we can read the human words of Jesus. We can hear what he taught. We can see what he did. It's built on them. We, we cannot depart from the Bible as a church. Many churches are, aren't they? They're saying, well, the culture's moving away from what the Bible teaches, so we go with culture. Well, if, if we were to do that, we would be abandoning the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. We must have Christ as the cornerstone, the one on whom the whole structure, or in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I don't know if uh, you own your own home or if, if you're renting or you've been in, in, a, in a home where there is subsidence. It's a nightmare, isn't it? Or even the thought of it is a nightmare. You know, I, I, I don't know, the, the crack that starts to appear. And then the following day, it's just a little bit wider. And then it's a bit wider. And then the whole wall starts to move. Uh, if we're homeowners, we may perhaps rather anxiously go around our home just thinking, well, is that crack going to, is that getting, is that getting bigger? Is that maybe the foundation, particularly when it's dry and the, the trees are kind of drying out the clay, particularly in Essex. The only remedy is underpinning, redoing the foundations to support the house, making sure that the foundation is solid. Well, in building a church, the foundation is the apostles and prophets who witnessed Jesus, who heard him teach them, who saw his miracles. There is no other foundation. If we were to go to another foundation, then we'd suffer subsidence as a church. There'd be cracks appearing all over the place. And any church and any denomination that abandons the apostles and prophets, cracks will start to appear and at some point the whole thing will fall down because it's built on Christ, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Which is why we do certain things here. We always have the Bible being proclaimed and preached on a Sunday morning. It, whatever meeting we begin, we start with the Bible, a bit of the Bible. Why is that? Well, it's not just a book of information. We can't just say, even if we'd memorize the Bible from beginning to end, I know it. Because it isn't like any other book. It's a book that the Spirit speaks through. It's the foundation of any church. It's, it's the cornerstone because it's all about Jesus. You see, we're prone as Christians to forget what this book is like. It's a living word. 
C.H. Spurgeon, you may know, he was a preacher in the, uh, and uh, he used to go and preach in the open air. And the way he would do this, he would put a Bible on the ground and then he'd put a hat on it. And the, the way that he'd get attention, he'd say, oh, look, look, it's alive. It's alive. It, it's, it's alive. And then he'd take, take up the Bible and start to preach from it. And when asked, don't, don't you think you need to defend the Bible? He said, I'd rather try and defend a lion. This book is alive. Many of us have testimonies, don't we, of how this book, as we started to read it, it's my testimony. I thought I was reading out of you know, interest and criticism, but actually, as I read it, I encountered Jesus Christ. It started by the Spirit's power to convict me of sin. It's a spiritual book. It, the words are human, but they are also spiritual. Now, the other thing, I don't know if you noticed this, that, that there's some mixed metaphors going on here. Because we start to think of the cornerstone of Jesus as just sort of maybe one corner or the head of the corner. But let's just see what it actually says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom? The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now we can't get our heads around this, but that's okay because we expect God to be beyond our heads or comprehension. There's two metaphors. Yes, Jesus is the foundation and the cornerstone. He's also the whole building. Because the whole building is a cornerstone. Because nothing can change the cornerstone. And as God builds individual bricks into this holy temple in the Lord, Jesus is the whole temple. In him, verse 22, in Jesus Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he's saying, look, you are in Christ and therefore you are secure, you are safe. This building, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Both are true. We are secure, but we need to keep growing in what we already have. That's why Paul's writing this letter, so that they would know more deeply the love that God has for them, that they'd be built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, because there is a dynamic, there's a real relationship between us as a church family, us individually, and the Spirit of God. Now, so many things could flow from this, uh, and I'm conscious of time, you might be surprised by, but I am. Um, and so I know, I know I need to wrap things up. And I'm just going to have to go quickly. We believe here that the Bible is sufficient. You can't get better than perfection. The Bible gives us everything we need to believe and to be saved and to live the Christian life. It is all we need. And the Holy Spirit will always use the Bible. We can always guarantee to hear the Spirit when we read the Bible. So there are no apostles today in the same sense as the foundational apostles. There's no such thing as Roman Catholic apostolic succession and new revelation. You can't get better than Jesus. And there's no such thing as Pentecostal apostles. Now, I know that people might be sent to do gospel work, but I'd be very, very nervous of being taking the same title as the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul could say, what I teach, Jesus Christ teaches. He has revealed himself in me, so what I say, Jesus says. There's nobody else today 
Who can say that? But you find many people in the church who claim that, whether it's Roman Catholic uh, apostolic succession of the Roman See or uh, so-called apostles uh, in the sort of Pentecostal tradition. I'm not having a go at either. I'm just saying those particular things disagree with what Paul is saying here. I mean, imagine a masterpiece, the Mona Lisa or Van, Van Gogh or Van Gogh, however you pronounce it, sunflowers. If I were to suggest, you know, I, I just think I need to do a bit of improvement. I, mean, I get out my paintbrush and start to sort of, I'd be taken away. And if people try to add revelation to the Bible, they are seeking to destroy the perfect revelation of Jesus Christ to bring in new revelation, which is why as an Anglican church in the 39 articles, in article six, the word of God is the sufficient word for salvation. We don't need to believe or teach or do anything over and above what God's word, the Bible says. But, and with this I close, the danger is that we start to, in so emphasizing the Bible in response to the ways in which Cracks are appearing in denominations around us and people are abandoning the Bible. The danger is we move too far the other way and we start to deny the deity of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean? Well, the Holy Spirit speaks through the human spiritual words of the Bible, yes. But the Holy Spirit is God. He can use whatever he likes that agrees with the testimony of Jesus, which he inspired. It's a bit like a radio broadcast. So, sorry to be retro for some of you who don't know what radios are, um, where, where, you, you, where, you had, where, where you had a sort of, uh, you had a, a broadcast, a radio broadcast, and then do you remember these days, you're trying to get the aerial right so that you could pick up the radios, and perhaps some people still do this. The, the human words of Jesus are the, the radio broadcast. They're being spread throughout the world. But we're not on receive mode. We don't pick up the signal until we're born again. The Holy Spirit needs to bring new birth for us to see or enter the kingdom of God. Until that point, we are dead in sin. We are blind. We cannot see the glory of the gospel. So the Holy Spirit needs to shine his light into our hearts so that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We need to be remade. And if the illustration that Jesus uses of a wind blowing is his way of describing the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, well, his work in our lives might be like a gentle breeze or like a hurricane. And it explains why the Holy Spirit uses all kinds of means to illuminate, to help us understand what he is saying in Scripture. Now, the Bible actually uses the word revelation for both what goes on in a human being as they hear the truth of the Bible. And so we need to, to say that God is revealing himself by the Holy Spirit as something that we have learned or seeing or have come to understand comes alive in our hearts. But the theological way of talking about this, which I think is helpful, is that this is revelation and what goes on in human beings is illumination. 
Illumination doesn't change revelation. As soon as we start talking about more revelation, the danger is that we're saying we're going to add to this book. No. Jesus is perfect. You can't add to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. But maybe this is true of many of us in our, in our histories. We heard the Bible being preached for years before we understood it, before God shone the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ into our hearts by his spirit. Uh, just a couple of things before, I keep saying just a couple of things. This really is just the last couple of things. Um, I'm sure my dad won't uh, mind telling something of the story of his coming to faith. I took him through Romans chapters one to five because I thought, right, if he understands the gospel, Romans one to five, then he's gonna believe. No. In other words, the radio broadcast went to him, but he didn't understand it. It took another decade, him going to a church, hearing the gospel. And then the penny dropped when he was singing a Christian chorus in the garden. The Spirit illumined his heart. He was born again. That didn't happen without the Bible. But the Spirit is sovereign. He is God. He doesn't have to use the Bible because God can do whatever he desires, whatever he wishes. The Holy Spirit never contradicts the Bible because he's inspired the Bible. But he can use whatever means he chooses, which is really encouraging because it means we can pray for God the Holy Spirit to be at work amongst us and in those we love in whatever way he wants to be. We don't have to get people to read the Bible or to come to church because they probably already heard enough to know that there's something in this. They're just blind and dead. The Spirit needs to regenerate them. And that reminds us that I could preach perfect sermons and you could read your Bible in a disciplined fashion every day for the rest of your life. You could get all your friends and family reading the Bible for an hour a day and nothing would happen without God the Holy Spirit illumining people's hearts and minds, our hearts and minds. So yes, we must go to the Bible and stay faithful to the Bible, but we must also pray for the Holy Spirit to do mighty works like he has done in the past, where thousands of people have come to faith oh, in one sermon on the day of Pentecost, in the evangelical awakening in the United States, in this country, in the Outer Hebrides in 1904, when people were sailing back from sea, weeping, thinking, how can my sin be dealt with? That's what we need. We need word, but not just word, spirit as well. Let's just pray as I close. Lord, sorry for ways in which I've gone on too long and this has not been helpful, but Lord, we, we cry out to you that as we seek to build your church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, may he be our cornerstone personally and as a church. May we never move away from scripture but may we also trust, not in our own power and intellect and understanding, but in God the Spirit, that he might regenerate, bring to new birth, save hundreds, thousands of people as only he can. Amen.